What a blessing it is to be assembled together this Lord's Day morning. The first day of the week is such an exciting and thrilling time. We each look forward to it, no doubt. An opportunity to render the heartfelt service that's within us in the attitude of worship as we worship our Heavenly Father in truth and in spirit. To borrow the wording of John 4 verse 24. As you probably have already noted, the title of the lesson today will have to do with the family, but notice there's a part one in this. I, several months ago, I had the idea or perhaps thought it would be wise to focus a series of lessons on the consideration of the family as it is set forth in the Word of God. And by the blessing and will of God, we'll begin that series today. In fact, today's lesson will basically be a groundwork, a framework, a foundation, if you will, in which we will build upon it for a number of weeks following this one. And so I hope that you'll study along with me as we seek to rightly divide the Holy Word of God and learn more acutely what's involved in our families to make them as, as God would have each and every one of them to be. These opening remarks, it would seem to me, would be a very fitting thing. Somewhat fascinating to consider, don't you agree, how fundamentally vital the family really is. It touches not only each of our lives, but in fact it will frame within us the very development that will lead us all throughout the nature of our life. It's very fundamental then to have an appropriateness of the family. And can't we all agree that the Word of God is the blueprint for it? It has everything vital, needful, and good to say about it. And so we're going to look at the Word of God as we strive to study the part about the family. Today, the family should be of God. You notice that was a part of the title. We're going to develop that by first do, making some initial remarks. As you think about the word family, those who are in the field of psychology or even sociology have a great deal to say about what would constitute a family. We would never want to go beyond what the Word of God says about that, so here are at least some initial considerations. My suspicion is that if we were to at least make usage of that six-letter word family, we probably think about a dad, a mom, and some kids. But let me be quick to say, and the God, Word of God does too, that although there are many families that would fit that description, there certainly are some others. Let's in fact build this initial thought. As far as that description I just gave, Noah would fit that beautifully, wouldn't he? We read in Genesis chapters 6 and following about a man named Noah and his wife, their sons and their wives. In fact, that's the only eight individuals that chose by faith to enter the ark. And on several occasions, reference is made to Noah's house consisting of those individuals. In Hebrews 11, verse number 7, for example, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So a house there was used in a way representative of those precious souls that were a part of it. Notice Noah's house. It did consist of a father, a mother, and some children. But when you and I give thought to that, notice these additional examples. What happened on that occasion when Abraham's blessed wife Sarah passed away? Here he was left as a widower. And yet we remember that, of course, his life went on for quite some time beyond. Did he constitute then a family of sorts? If an individual, let's say her husband, passes on, 
Is this widow, is she, does she constitute a recognized family in the sight of God? You might think with me about Naomi for just a moment. Along that, what about Ruth? As the book of Ruth begins, we remember that there was a woman named Naomi, and she and her husband were blessed with two sons, but they went to a distant place to live while there was a famine. But while there, Naomi's husband died. The two boys, we remember they also, the time came that they died. We here are given a viewpoint of a very unusual family, at least in that day and time in some ways. But you'll notice how sweetly it's described in the blessed book of God. Maybe another example. What about the case of Hosea? We encounter this 14-chapter book of the Minor Prophets. Hosea's wife was not a very commendable woman. In fact, she was a prostitute. And yet she left the faithfulness of Hosea, went out and actually became pregnant with another man. But you'll notice that Hosea lovingly took her back in. You'll notice there was a family that perhaps would bear an interesting resemblance at least in structure to some today. There were stepchildren. And you'll notice that Hosea loved those children. You'll notice then there are many kinds of families described in the Bible. As you look at each and every one of them, what's important? What is most vitally important in every one of these kinds of families is that it be respectful of that which the Word of God has to say. And that whatever those duties and obligations are, that each member of the family lives in harmony with them as delivered by God. And so we're going to begin to study in some detail over again beginning today. What about the duties given to a husband or a father? What about the duties given to a wife or a mother? What about the duties given to children? And there are some. Thankfully, the Word of God tells us what we need to know so that our families can be ordered to make them the paradise on earth they ought to be. And as we study them, I hope we'll each be strongly benefited and encouraged by that study. Today again, the family should be of God. Maybe one of your favorite verses, as well as certainly of myself, is the opening verse of the 127th Psalm. We remember there how powerfully, how directly a statement like this is made. How sweet it is to think about the leadership of God in regard to a family. Isn't it true that they labor in vain for which God is not the watchman? Is God the watchman of your family and mine? Is it true that you and I rely upon the thoroughness and the presentation of the Word of God? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I hope that you and I can be motivated to even more so than ever recognize the importance of allowing the God of heaven to be the ultimate builder of our families. In so doing, let's then begin to study in this lesson today for the remainder of it some particular features that are not of God. Kinds of families, kinds of homes as the world would recognize them that would be fraught with problems and difficulties. Let's begin like this. You and I know from our study of the Word of God that there are a number of families that would be respected at least by humans, if you please, but yet the family constructed thereby would not be pleasing to God. You and I not only would need to recognize this, but we would never want to give our approval to those who would feel that these things are fine. 
I chose this one as the first one partly because of the overt way it seems to be thrust upon you and me today by media and by, well, many others who themselves promote it very openly. Homosexual families, men with men, women with men, women with women, consider this. We will know that in our country, by the Constitution, there is an order that there is to be a census taken every 10 years. The most recent one of them was in the year 2010. According to that census, there were 116,716,292 families, households, if you will, in the United States of America. And of that number, 901,997 were regarded as homosexual in their character. I suppose as one gives thought to that number, that second number may seem rather small compared to the former. One has to wonder about the correctness and the ultimate legitimacy of that number. Could it have been much higher? We don't know. But even that number has with it such a resounding sadness. Because after all, as you well know, that agenda... And it seems to be so openly promoted in rather overt ways. But may we keep in mind that it seemingly has always been an issue, a problem. Look back to the days of the patriarchal era. You and I know so easily that there have been three eras, two, three epochs of time, if you please, in which God has dispensed laws in one way or another to His people, to the individuals that live upon this planet. In the patriarchal era... God condemned homosexuality. So notice, it's not as though this is a new sin. It's an old sin. As early as the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was already rampant. And Genesis 19 is a timeless record of the way in which God resoundingly sent forth His decree relative to it. Now might we say that God, of course, loves those individuals, but He's so wishing that they repent and that they will recognize the love embedded in His Word with respect to what they could be. And of course, our viewpoint is the same. But we do not condone the sin, just as He didn't. You'll notice in Genesis 19, verses 24 to 26, that there was fire and brimstone from heaven that rained down upon those cities of the plain, and of course they were destroyed. As you and I turn several chapters forward, we come to the book of Leviticus. At this point, God addressed the children of Israel, and we notice that to them, they were under a different law. Now, in the sense that it was that well-known law of Moses, but yet even under the nature of that law, some very careful prescriptions were given. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, as well as Leviticus 20, verse 13, the statement was made that man shall not lie with man as with a woman. It's abomination. And in fact, two chapters later, the death penalty was asserted to those who were guilty thereof. Their blood will be upon them. All we ask ourselves then to observe is that, again, it's not a new sin. Whether it was the law of Moses or whether the patriarchal era that preceded it, God had dealt rather clearly and very specifically with the fact that this is not acceptable in terms of being pleasing. As you and I turn the page to the Christian era, the law beneath which you and I live today. The New Testament is not silent with respect to this, and you and I know it well. In Romans 1, beginning in verse 25, 
we remember a rather vivid description how that this is unnatural, vile affections are involved. It is in fact a rep- reprobate matter concerning the nature of what God has revealed. Notice there it's recognized as a sinful thing. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we notice that as Paul gave one of those lists about these behaviors that were unacceptable, homosexuality is one of them listed for which they will not receive the kingdom of heaven. How much more serious could it be than that? Later in 1 Timothy 1, one final occasion, Paul again addressed it and asserted how evil it is. One by one, as we look at all those things, the conclusion is evident, isn't it? This kind of household is not pleasing to God. Perhaps that brings to our mind a question that was asked in Isaiah 39 verse 4. In the heart of the Old Testament, what have they seen in thine house? If this is what is seen in the house, it's not a pleasing house to God. However, let's turn our attention to something else. For now that we know that that kind of household or home is an unacceptable one by the standard of God, what about another one? What about a house or a home founded upon fornication? Sexual sin, again, is not a new thing. It has, in fact, seemingly been a very part of the fabric of what humans have chosen to do since nearly the very beginning. As you think about a home of fornication, let's be specific what we mean. I'm using it to refer to this, a place, a circumstance in which a man and a woman are living together, but they're not married to each other. They're living in fornication. Specifically, one more time, might we notice that I suppose there was a time, at least based on my reading, when that kind of thing was very much disgraceful. It doesn't seem quite so disgraceful, at least in the circumstances of many today. Look at these numbers. Same census, the 2010 United States Census. There were some 5,475,768 households like this. Well, over 5% of the total homes of fornication. Households embedded squarely upon the reality of what the Word of God condemns. People choosing to live together, enjoying the supposed benefits of marriage without being married. What does God's Word have to say about it? These are thoughts that, of course, you and I as adults and older ones perhaps appreciate already, but may we always seek to know our youngsters will also understand it so that in days to come, they will never be tempted to compromise, never be tempted to think that certain things by society's assertions are all right. With those numbers, look. We have passages like this, 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 2. Maybe no passage any clearer than this one, forbidding the nature of the very thing described by this description so far. Let every man have his own wife to avoid fornication. You've got to be married and let every woman have her own husband again to avoid fornication. There is no enjoyment of those sexual matters outside the kind of scriptural marriage the Word of God testifies. Oh, how carefully one must then appreciate the specificity of God's Word touching subjects like that one. As you notice as we come near the bottom, we one more time see the seriousness of this kind of thing when we appreciate what will be the finality, what's the fate of it. 
I've asked you to notice in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Same passage we noted earlier, but again as Paul listed it, who will not go to heaven among it? Fornicators. Those who choose to live guilty of this, Paul says, not going to go to heaven. And couldn't we agree that if you miss that, you've missed everything? But that isn't by any means the only verse. In Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, when the works of the flesh are discussed, the very first ones listed in the list involve fornication. It's as if God one last and one final time gave us this in Revelation 22, the last chapter in all the Bible. It's as if He wished to, in fact, embed it in our heart one final occasion. Those who will be outside the blessed city, and that's heaven. Those left outside the gate, among it, fornicators. May you and I recognize how swiftly and how powerfully this kind of subject must be understood and obeyed if it's to be a kind of family God would have it to be. A second kind of family, not pleasing to God. Homosexual first and now a home of fornication. What about a third one? As you and I look at yet another example, another kind of family, a situation in which individuals dwell, may I ask you to consider an adulterous one. That is to say, a family predicated upon the occurrence of adultery. What do we mean by this? Well, there at the top. What if we now appreciate the possibility of the following? A man and a woman who, in fact, are living together, even married, but they're not scripturally married. Oh, maybe by the laws of the land they're married to each other, but not according to the mandates allowed by the Word of God. And in so doing, we have the unforgettable teaching of our Master with respect to something like this. As you and I develop it, one more time, maybe some numbers. Same census, the 2010 United States census. You'll notice that there are some figures I thought worthy to consider. Because as you think about the ways in which this kind of matter can develop without a doubt, one possibility that occurs so quickly is, what if individuals get a divorce and then one or both choose to remarry? We know God's Word has made some restrictions on what kind of divorce is recognized in the sight of God and thus what individuals may be allowed by God to remarry. And if an individual doesn't have that permission or allowance of God and then chooses to remarry, we know what kind of home is produced. It's an adulterous one. As I mentioned, 872,000 divorces were granted in the year 2010 in our country alone. 872,000. You'll notice in terms of numbers that basically boils down to for every 1,000 people, there's 3.6 divorces. A lot of divorces are granted in our land, aren't there? And shockingly enough, that number is less than what it has been in years prior to it. So many divorces granted. As you think about the occurrence and the reality of those divorces, remember the Word of God has stated, God does allow divorce, but there's only one reason. Only one. It's due to that sexual infidelity on the part of one of the members. That's it. A divorce for any other reason is not granted, at least not recognized appropriately by the God of heaven. It's against His will for such to have happened. 
And yet how many times are divorces granted for reasons other than that one? How many times are there individuals who in fact receive a paper from our state government, divorce was granted, but God never recognized the divorce? It is in that kind of circumstance that Matthew 19 sounds so resoundingly strong, doesn't it? Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Jesus Himself then, the very Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, affirms so strongly that individual who then chooses to remarry is now in an adulterous home. How serious that becomes when you notice at the bottom. Those guilty of adultery too won't enter heaven. It is not just an idle consideration, is it? It is not an issue that might be optional as taken or left. I would ask you to notice in Matthew 5.32, Jesus, even in the Sermon on the Mount, rather early in His earthly ministry, so strongly issued these same kind of statements. We've seen now for the third occasion, another kind of home is not pleasing to God. The numbers are narrowing greatly, aren't they? Let's look even further. Besides these three homes we've considered so far, what about another one that I will describe in a rather general way, I confess? My hope is, though, that in succeeding weeks, we will cast a stronger spotlight on the positive aspects of this one, not so much the negative ones. By a dysfunctional family, could I at least basically note this? Could it well be the case that there is a husband and a wife who are scripturally married to one another? Perhaps there are children born to that union. Could it nonetheless be the case that due to failures on the part of one or more in that family that the family is not as it ought to be? A general dysfunctional family. I believe each of us know so easily that that could happen. Maybe the father shirks his responsibilities. Maybe the mother is not responsible with respect to the duties God has given to her. Maybe the parents in total fail in one regard to another as regarding what the Word of God asserts that they should be and must do. Maybe the children are failing in one respect or another concerning what God has given concerning them. However that might be presented, might we notice, our current society is filled and my list is so short as to what it could be. We know that there are problems and sins relating to drinking and gambling and other kinds of pornography. A man or a woman could be given to those kinds of things and it will etch away at the very fabric of a family. Family just won't be what it ought to be. That's so tragic. It's so sad. And yet, in light of all of it, the Word of God is going to help us appreciate that there's so many things that we can understand from God's Word that would help us not to be guilty of anything like that that would cause our family to be dysfunctional. I might say, even as we look forward to the remainder of the series, God's Word has said some very directed things to all of us. Fathers, dads, God's Word is going to speak to us very directly. We need to appreciate what He says. Mothers, God's Word is going to address you straightforwardly. I know that you want to know also what He has to say to you so that you can be by far the best wife and mother you can be. Children, listen to me carefully. 
God's Word says some very directed things to you too. I know that you want to know what that is so that you as well as all of us, that you can be the kind of person that would uplift and encourage your family and never ever be a dragging force upon it. May I suggest as you come to the bottom, our society suffers enormously in one way or another due to these failures. I'm reminded of Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That is also true not only with respect to a national consideration, but as you and I apply that kind of teaching directly to our families, I know that you'd never want your family to be regarded in a way less than what God would find pleasing. I hope our study then will be beneficial and so very good. A dysfunctional family, the other three we mentioned before it. What about another one? Another kind of family, and this one, of course, is going to be a trying one. I know all of us easily live in a day and a time when we are flooded with information. Television, internet, magazines. We now have phones which we have on the spot readiness to information no matter where in the world it seems to be presented. It's so easy. It really is to allow God to be just a distant second place at best. But might we notice up front, if we make that kind of choice, we put ourselves in a very, very bad position. Because look at this family. What about a godless family? Again, it may be a family where there's a recognized scriptural marriage, and it may be a family with a number of other supposed good things that might be said, but God is not the foundation of it. May I submit to you there are serious problems, eternal in scope. Oh, what a sadness it is to consider a godless family. A few comments are just going to be very brief. And again, in succeeding weeks, we'll fine-tune some of our discussion. But what about that family that bases everything else upon things that don't involve God? Entertainment. There isn't a thing wrong with entertainment by itself. But once it's elevated to a stature above devotion to God, entertainment has become your God. You are now guilty of idolatry. And you have, of course, alienated yourself from the marvelous spiritual blessings of the Son of God. Idolatry. And yet you and I realize how easy the devil can bring that to you and me. Now he does it gradually, slowly and almost imperceptibly over perhaps even years. And suddenly you wake up and find yourself distant from God and your children are lost. And it happened oh so slowly. The devotion to God has to be top priority. It really does. If we're going to have the kind of homes that God would have us to have, marriages that God would have us to enjoy, and children that will come up to be faithful Christians, we need to make sure God is in the home. I would ask you to notice very quickly some of these verses like Matthew 19, 6. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. There's a description of marriage as the Lord Himself stated it. Who joined them? God did it. We've often noted in our studies and in Bible classes and otherwise 
it's a nice thing to have that piece of paper from the state of Tennessee that gives affirmation to the marriage, but the governor of the state of Tennessee or no one else did the joining except God. He did it. What he has joined together, may the husband and wife never forget that fact. Not only that, look at verses like Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. As the Word of God is lifted to such high respect and consideration, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself also in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Verse number 97 of that same chapter. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. What about you and me and our families? Do we become so busy? Do we allow ourselves to be so inundated with the affairs and the particulars and the demands of life that we maybe allow God to become too far distant? Do I read His Word as I should? Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist echoed that statement in Psalm 119, verse 105, didn't he? And as we come to the New Testament, what was it that Paul stated to the Corinthian church? And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's clear decree in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2, touched upon the power and majesty of the Word. Maybe it is as you come to those last possibilities. I would invite you to consider the premise that I stated early in the lesson today. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Think about a lifetime invested without God as the foundation. If He never built it, all the effort was in vain. That's tragic, isn't it? I say all of those things to say as we come near the conclusion of our lesson today that maybe there is one final one and I'm going to use an extended conclusion this morning because rather than all these negatives, let's end on a positive. We know the Word of God condemns these other kinds of families we've discussed. Homosexual, adulterous, one of fornication, a dysfunctional one, a godless one. But let's at least end with a springboard to the lesson coming next Sunday and the weeks that follow. What about the sweetness of a godly home? I'm sure a smile comes to your face just as it does to mine. Because we already perhaps can appreciate our mind racing to many verses and many blessings and many passages that help us see just how grand a godly home is. For instance, as you think about that lesson text read earlier today, we find at the very outset of the famous book of God, the defining matter, the defining consideration touching the very matter of marriage. Adam, of course, was alone, Genesis 2.18. No helpmeet was found, no suitable mate for him was there amongst any in the, human, in, in, in the animal kingdom. A deep sleep was brought upon Adam. And from his side, a rib was taken. And from that rib, God fashioned a woman. A perfectly suited mate, helpmeet for Adam. God brought her to him. And we remember then that text that was read earlier in our hearing today. We notice that she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
But then, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. There we find, then in the Word of God, the beautiful description of marriage, not just what the laws of the state may say, but what God would have us to understand. Not only that, you appreciate that there is, as we shall find, a strong element and sense of love existent in that marriage. Not only that, we appreciate there may be children born to that union, and there again is another element in love too. As obedience is taught, appreciations are thus set forth and made. We begin to appreciate a remarkable set of people bound together, of course, by a kind of matter and description of the Word of God that is truly amazing. As you come to the bottom, to near the middle and bottom of that, the Bible gives us examples of these kind of godly families. We remember that Abraham was spoken of so highly in Genesis 18, 19. We remember that Proverbs 22, 6 gives all of us marching orders Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I hope you're as eager as I to think about the manifestations in succeeding weeks of these lessons. One by one, as we look at them, we shall find the Word of God overflowing in some ways with wonderful descriptions. Some of them are going to hit you and me directly. I frankly confess it. But aren't we the better for it? And aren't we blessed to hear that instruction now rather than be faced with it only on the day of judgment? It might be in the sound of my voice this morning there's someone, one or more, that's not living faithful to God. Maybe you've never become a Christian and so at this stage in your life you are unprepared for the judgment. You've reached the age of accountability. You know that you are in sin but you have never been washed with the blood of Christ. Please don't remain in that state. I realize there's a bit of nervousness as you walk down this aisle. But I want you to realize there's a host of people here cheering for you. And not only we, but the angels of heaven. You see, in that sense, you aren't alone. If we could help you today, you must believe in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, and you must confess audibly the name of Jesus as the Son of God and be baptized and if we could assist you in that way today, what a joyous day it would be. If, however, you have been a faithful Christian, maybe you knew what it was like to be a member of an earthly family and do so faithful to the Lord. But maybe at this point that's a distant memory. Maybe you have long since failed in one or more ways and now your life is but a shell of what it once was. Why not come back to your first love today? Don't you want to be there? Don't you want to again be that faithful husband or wife or just a faithful person in general? Because you realize God does love you. He sent His Son to die for you, and He's waiting for you to come back to Him. Don't make Him wait, for there will come a time His patience will run out. 2 Peter 3.15 Today, if you need to respond by asking us to pray to God on your behalf, why not do it? And do it now, while together we stand and sing.